Our subject, diet and spirituality. This is number two of two. I'd like to begin with a very important text, 1 Peter 3, 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now as I begin, first of all I have a confession to make. For some three years I have felt a tremendous burden to preach on the subject of health li healthful living. But I've always managed somehow to find some other subject to preach on. Shame on me. And shame on all likewise ordained ministers who have neglected to preach the full three angels' message. In fact, I have never heard a sermon on health reform that was ever preached from a church pulpit on the Sabbath morning, and I think it ought to be. I believe this lack of preaching on health is because we preachers have feared that we will be considered as fanatics, that we might be called straight-laced or some other disliked term. Personally, I have hid behind a screen that I'm not a medical doctor. So, how can I speak with authority on the matter of health? But the truth is, the Word of God and the counsel of the Spirit of Prophecy are packed with messages of health. What greater authority does the preacher need? And so, I'm going to ask a question. Do you know how to answer this question? Why do Seventh-day Adventists not eat flesh foods? I hope you are not at a loss to give an adequate reason. And you need never be after listening to some of the amazing facts that I am going to present in this sermon. No, indeed. We need not be ashamed of our stand on flesh meat for it is backed by an abundance of scientific evidence and, of most importance, by messages that God himself has given to us through his servant. So we should ever be ready to give an answer for our faith. I think it very appropriate as I begin to mention that I received tremendous help from the pen of Dr. Lloyd Rosenball and his wife in this health presentation. Their book entitled Science and Modern Man has been a great inspiration to me and I would encourage you to obtain a copy for yourself. Now, let us assemble our answers to the question why we should not eat flesh foods. To start with, we believe as Seventh-day Adventists in accordance with the scriptures that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? 
and that the Holy Spirit dwells within us by faith, right? And since we are bought with a price, and my dear beloved, what a price. When you think of Calvary, the Son of God leaving his throne in heaven and coming down here to die for you and for me, what a price he paid. Should we not then glorify God in our bodies? For we are not our own. How can we defile the temple of God and show our great respect and appreciation for the sacrifice of our Savior on Calvary for you and for me? God's original diet for man did not mention flesh. And we should remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is why when God led Israel out of Egypt toward Cana, he proposed that Israel should not use a flesh diet. And likewise, God is preparing us for heavenly Cana and is asking us to leave the flesh diet of surrounding modern Egypt and get back to God's original diet for man. In that wonderful book called Councils on Diet and Food, page 380, are these words. Again and again, I have been shown that God is trying to lead us back step by step to his original design that man should subsist upon the natural products of the earth. Vegetables, fruits, and grains should compose our diet. Not an ounce of flesh meat should enter our stomachs. The eating of flesh is unnatural. We are to return to God's purpose in the creation of man. Then in volume 7 of the Testimonies, 135, by precept and example, make it plain that the food God gave Adam in his sinless state is the best for man's use as he seeks to regain that sinless state. The Bible expressly teaches that the remnant church will have the gift of the spirit of prophecy. And through this gift, God repeatedly has given instructions for his people to discard the flesh diet because it contains injurious properties to our soul and body. Going back to that book, Councils on Diets and Foods, 381. It is for our own good that the Lord counsels the remnant church to discard the use of flesh, tea, coffee, and other harmful foods. On page 380, among those who are waiting for the coming of the Lord. Now that's you and me, isn't it? 
We're in the waiting time. Notice what she says. Among those who are waiting for the coming of the Lord, meat-eating will eventually be done away with. And then she makes it positive. Flesh will cease to form a part of their diet. Are you one of those waiting for Jesus to come? Now, God has a reason for this request, and it's a tremendous request. Because he loves us so much, he died for us, he wants us to be in health, that our minds can comprehend what is truth, and we will be able to discern falsehoods so that we will be able to be ready to meet him. But that's not all. He knows that the diseases of animals is now being transmitted to man by the eating of flesh food. Consider these facts. In Councils to Health, page 70, the liability you take, the liability to take disease is increased tenfold by meat eating. Now you know that tenfold means a thousand percent. That's a tremendous statement. We ought to really sit up and take note. I'm sure that almost every one of you who are listening have bought a car sometime in your lifetime, or maybe you just bought one. Would you take that new automobile and put into it oil that you knew would destroy the inner workings of its motor? No, you buy the best of oil. The liability to take disease has increased a tenfold, a thousand percent, by meat-eating. The intellectual, moral, and physical powers are depreciated by habitual use of flesh meats. Meat-eating dearranges the system, beclouds the intellect, and blunts the moral sensibilities. So that's why I'm preaching on the subject, our diet and spirituality. In the book, Ministry of Healing, page 313, are these words. Flesh was never the best food, but its use is now doubly objectionable, since disease in animals is so rapidly increasing. Those who use flesh foods know little what they are eating. Often, if they could see the animals when living and know the quality of the meat they eat, they would turn from it with loathing. May I add that when my wife and I take a walk not far from here each day, we go by a place where the farmer is raising meat to be eaten, to be slaughtered. And if you could see some of those animals as we see them, they're sick. 
Their bones are protruding. You can see the ribs bones. You can see the hip bones. And you ought to watch the way some of them walk. You know they are sick. And then to see him take those off to slaughter? You know, people are constantly eating flesh that is filled with tuberculosis and cancerous germs. Tuberculosis and cancer and other fatal diseases are thus communicated, unquote. Back to the book Council on Diets and Foods, 384. Animals are becoming more and more diseased, and it will not be long until animal food will be discarded by many besides Seventh-day Adventists. And this is true today. There are thousands and tens of thousands, and if not millions, in the United States that are now vegetarians. Of the same book, 386, worldly physicians cannot account for the rapid increase of disease among the human family. But we know that much of this suffering is caused by the eating of dead flesh. You know, when you think about that, it's amazing how some Christians will challenge me occasionally by stating, you know, they ate meat in the Bible. That is true. But the meat in the Bible days and the meat our forefathers ate was only about 3% fat. Beef, the way it is grown today, is 20 to 30% fat. And pork, the way it is produced today, is 40 to 60% fat. Nor was the meat our forefathers ate full of antibiotics and growth hormones and preservative toxins and cancer. Nor did they pasteurize and homogenize their milk or produce eggs in wire cages without the benefit of sunshine and green food and insects, etc. In a paper that you can secure entitled Beyond Beef, you can get it by writing to 1130 17th Street, Northwest Washington, D.C., are these amazing words from the United States Surgeon General I'm quoting, according to the United States Surgeon General, 70% of United States deaths are related to diet, particularly the overconsumption of beef and other foods high in cholesterol and saturated fat. Study after study has linked red meat to the development of heart disease strokes, and cancer of the colon and breasts. Animal products are linked to the four leading causes of death in the United States." Unquote. In October 7 of the Journal of the National Council, the National Cancer Institute, are these words. New findings in the link between diet and colon cancer are adding 
to a growing body of evidence that increased consumption of vegetables and fruits and grains may reduce the risk of fatal colon cancer. According to an American Cancer Society study, unquote. You know, after reading such striking statements, one wonders how any Seventh-day Adventist could still be eating meat. But there are many more reasons and facts to present. Now, science has produced statements that a flesh diet is not essential to good health. E.V. McCullum, a noted nutritionalist of John Hopkins University. Now you notice this is some of the highest authority in the land. Has stated in a public lecture that experimental evidence from animal and human sources has proved conclusively that meat is not necessary in the human diet. Now isn't that something? You'll find that in the book, How to Live, page 182. And the eminent Danish nutritionist, Hind Hede, in his book, What to Eat and Why, page 13, writes, Meat has always been looked upon as the best food. Now notice what he says, and this is one of the most eminent men in Europe. I'm reading, meat has always been looked upon as the best food, but I put it in the last place. I go so far as to say that meat can not only be dispensed with, but that taken in large quantities, it is directly injurious because it weakens the muscles and may open the door to many diseases." So the following does make sense when we read what Ellen White wrote in Councils on Diets and Foods, 396. Had the use of flesh been essential to health and strength, animal food would have been included in the diet, appointed man in the beginning. Why is it that so many people have failed to realize that flesh food is second-hand food? Reading on, page 396, those who eat flesh are but eating grains and vegetables as second-hand, for the animal receives from these things the nutrition that produces growth. The life that was in the grains and the vegetables passes into the eater. We receive it by eating the flesh of the animal. How much better to get it direct by eating the food that God provided for our use. You know, with food shortages increasing yearly, and we hear of famines, an increasing number, at an alarming rate even with millions starving, doesn't it make sense, or does it make sense, to feed wheat, corn, soy, and other cereals, together with lagoons, to the livestock? When notice this, it takes two pounds 
of these things to produce one pound of chicken meat. It takes three pounds of wheat, corn, soy, and other cereals and the like to produce one pound of pork. And it takes six to eight pounds from the vegetable kingdom to produce one pound of beef. And what about our need for protein? Although meat is a rich source of good quality protein, still better protein can be obtained from the vegetable kingdom. In the book How to Live, we read the protein of meats are less perfect than the proteins of nuts and grains, page 42. You know, I was impressed that meat is inferior as a source of minerals, too. Although rich in phosphorus, meat is very poor in calcium. On the other hand, cereals supply an ample supply of phosphorus. And certain vegetables and nuts give an abundance of calcium, except for calf and pig liver. Many fruits and grains and nuts have far more iron than meat, for beef muscle is very low in iron, and only 11% of its iron is available for the body to use. But consider the lowly bean, these beans. They contain three times as much iron as beef. And peas and wheat and oatmeal have twice the iron of beef. And whole wheat is a better blood builder than meat. Is it no wonder that meat eaters suffer more from anemia than vegetarians? Isn't it amazing that over a hundred years ago the spirit of prophecy stated that a vegetarian diet contained the very best blood-building nutrients, and meat-eating is an inferior diet. Let's take a look, too, at the source of vitamins. Since most fresh food is muscle meat, meat is relatively low in vitamins. You see, it is the glandular organs and entrails that contain a rich source of vitamins. But who but wild animals would eat the entrails? Ooh. Ellen White summed up the whole truth when she wrote, reading on in page 92, in grains, fruits, and vegetables, and nuts are to be found all the food elements that we need. The meat eater <coughs> should become aware, pardon me, <coughs> that flesh contains many excretions, the products of metabolism, which are not at all beneficial, like nitrinous waste, which seems to stimulate the body but actually poisons if the dose is large. It is a well-known fact that the chemical composition of beef broth 
closely approximates that of the human urine. With such wonder, knowledge, no wonder we read, going on to page 396, when the use of flesh food is discontinued, there is often a sense of weakness, a lack of vigor. Many use this as evidence that the flesh food is essential, but it becomes foods of this class that are stimulating because they fever the blood and excite the nerves that they are missed. I was also amazed to discover that it can become injurious to our health to eat a diet too high in protein. Since flesh food is high in protein, it can be dangerous to our own body system. For instance, Dr. Mann, and again we are turning to one of the highest institutes in America, the Mayo Clinic, he made this amazing statement regarding protein, too much protein. In the book How to Live, the 21st edition, page 76, the hepatic, speaking of the liver, activities in regard to protein appear to be difficult and costly for the hepatic cells to perform. And since the protein in the diet not needed for use as body protein is eventually utilized mainly as carbohydrates, it would appear that the excess protein causes an added workload on the hepatic cells which may be injured. Then he goes on to give an illustration, and I'm quoting dogs with seriously damaged livers like cirrhosis of the liver and obstructive jaundice develop marked, speaking of the abdominal fluid, and die in a few days when they are fed meat. When, however, they are fed the same amount of protein from milk, they live for months. From the Vegetarian Society of Los Angeles, P.O. Box 344, are these words. Cancer of the colon and breast, the types most closely linked with the consumption of meat and animal fat, are responsible for nearly 93 thousand deaths annually. Consumption of meat and animal fat is responsible for a number of other serious afflictions as well. Liver and kidney diseases frequently result from an excessive intake of protein. Disposition of uric acid from meat in the joints causes a painful crippling condition known as gout. The high phosphorus and protein content of meat depletes the calcium from the bones, promoting fractures and the stooping in older people. And then, then there's the matter of fat. In the meat which can be harmful to health, no one in the light of today's scientific knowledge questions the fact that vegetable fats are far superior to animal fat 
in human nutrition. Years ago, God informed us of this in the book Council on Diets, page 359. We read, the oil as eaten in the olive is far preferable to any animal oil or fat. When you think of it, heart disease, the number one killer is responsible for the deaths of 725,000 Americans annually. Consumption of saturated fat and cholesterol is generally regarded as the key factor in the development of arterial plaque, which eventually cuts off the blood supply to the heart and brings about the fatal heart attack. Strokes, accountable for 190,000 deaths, occur when a similarly occluded artery interrupts the blood supply to the brain. You know, often people will say, oh, I don't eat red meat anymore. I only eat chicken and fish. Where in the world do the Americans get these ideas? Somehow the American people think that chicken and fish are healthy. Not so. Chicken has the same amount of cholesterol as beef and is loaded with growth hormones. You see, a chicken that used to take 15 weeks to mature is now ready for the market in just six weeks because they are loaded with hormones. 60% of all chicken is contaminated with salmonella. And there are the antibiotics, antibiotics and other drugs. And when we look at fish, we find that in terms of calories consumed, fish has twice the cholesterol of pork or beef. Of course, it has no fiber. And as in the case with all animal products, which promote problems connected with the lack of fiber, ranging from the cons constipation to colon cancer, and not to mention the risks associated with eating contaminated fish from polluted waters. Studies constantly show that when a person switches from a red meat diet to a diet high in chicken and fish, there is absolutely no drop in the cholesterol levels. You see, today we are a generation that seem to be addicted to fast foods. And bacterial disease is on the increase. And so this is why the government is trying new guidelines endeavoring to prevent serious problems. Do you know that various hamburgers contain 1 million to 10 million colon germs per gram? because it contains fecal matter from contamination in slaughtering the animal. <clears throat> this is why cities like Portland, Oregon have ordinances prohibiting the sale of hamburger if it contains more than 10 million bacteria per gram. How repulsive the thought! Fecal 
contamination in hamburgers the people are eating? Perish the thought. I want my food firsthand, formed by the hand of God in the garden and in the orchard. No one who enjoys life wants to die, and vegetarianism favors longevity. Remember what inspiration had to say about eating flesh in the time of the flood? In the Spirit of Prophecy, Gifts number 4, page 121, God permitted that long-lived race to eat animal food to shorten their sinful lives. You know, it was extremely interesting to me to discover that meat-eaters are no so noticeably inferior to vegetarians in the matter of endurance. Even in the animal kingdom, the plant-eating animal has a greater endurance than the carnivorous eater. Experiments with trained athletes versus vegetarian athletes have shown that the vegetarians possess greater physical endurance as recently demonstrated in the climbing race at Pikes Peak. Anyone who may be skeptical about the strength and endurance and the general health of people who have chosen a vegetarian diet should consider these vegetarian athletes. The only man in the world to win the Ironman triathlon more than twice was Dave Scott, and he did it six times. Yes, he was a vegetarian. And the world record of 24-hour triathlon, in which they swam four and eight-tenths miles, cycled 185 miles, ran 52 miles. The winner, Sexto Linares, a vegetarian. Then there's that 20 world record held in distance running with nine Olympic medals. His name? Parvo Nurmi. Yes, a vegetarian. And there's the world premier ultra-distant ultra walker, Robert Sweetgall, a vegetarian and the world's record for the 400 and the 1500 meter freestyle swimming, Murray Rose, a vegetarian. And there's the world record for distant butterfly stroke swimming, James and Jonathan D. Donato. Yes, vegetarians. And the world record cross-country tandem cycling by Estella Gray and Cheryl Murick, vegetarians. And the all-time, the league of baseball, the home run champion, Henry Aaron. Did you know? He, too, is a vegetarian. And then there's the starter for the Boston Celics. At the age of 36, seven feet tall and weighing 240 pounds, Robert Parrish, a vegetarian.
And there's the world record for bench press, Stan Price, a vegetarian. And Mr. American bodybuilding champion, Roy Hilligan, a vegetarian. And eight national champions in karate, including the United States Karate Association world champion, Ridgely Abel, a vegetarian. And finally, the world champion gymnast, Dan Millman. So, you can't tell me that vegetarians are a bunch of weaklings. Let it never be said. Back to the book Council on Diets and Food, 396. It is a mistake to suppose that muscular strength depends on the use of animal food. The needs of the system can be better supplied and more vigorous health can be enjoyed without it. The grains with fruits, nuts, and vegetables contain all the nutritive properties necessary to make good blood. These elements are not so fully supplied by a flesh diet." Unquote. Perhaps I should address another claim. You know, one often hears from meat eaters that they feel it necessary to eat because they have a craving for protein. Well, that's just plain nonsense. In his book, Food and Health, page 187, Mr. Sherman has pointed out that money paid for meat is largely for fat and flavor. The chief reason why flesh foods are so popular is not a craving for protein, as commonly believed, but a craving for fat. You know, speaking of taste, back to the book Councils on Diets and Foods, page 399. Those who have not been converted to health reform and have never fully adopted it are not judges of its benefits. Those who digress occasionally to gratify the taste in eating a fattened turkey or other flesh meats pervert their appetites and are not the ones to judge the benefits of the system of health reform. But of most importance, spirituality is lessened by eating flesh. On page 382 we continue, there are those who ought to be awake to the dangers of meat eating, who are still eating flesh of dead animals thus endangering the physical, the mental, and then notice, the spiritual health. Many who are now only half converted on the question of meat-eating will go from God's people to walk no more with them. On page 403, those who are in a position where it is possible to secure a vegetarian diet, but who choose to follow their own preferences in this matter of eating and drinking as they please, 
will gradually grow careless in the instructions of the Lord that he has given regarding other phases of present truth and will lose their perception of what is truth, they will surely reap as they have sown. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why we see so many allured by celebration today and by the acceptance of false doctrines coming within the remnant church. Their spirituality is affected by what they eat. They do not have the ability to discern. Well, perhaps there's one more factor that I should mention, and that is this, that we are living in a day when our country is reaching a very low ebb in passion and morals. Brutality is often the common order of the day. You hear of this continually in terrible crimes that are committed. Reading on in page 383, the common use of flesh of dead animals has a deteriorating influence upon the morals as well as upon the physical constitution. And in 390, I was instructed that the use of flesh meat has a tendency to animalize the nature and to rob men and women of the love and sympathy which they should feel for everyone. And then in page 384, Ellen White makes this statement. Oh, if everyone could discern these matters as they have been presented to me, those who are now so careless, so indifferent in regard to their character building, those who plead for indulgence in flesh meat would never open their lips in justification of an appetite for the flesh of dead animals. Tell me, do Seventh-day Adventists have the answer? The results prove it. Loma Linda University conducted a sophisticated study which was paid for by, the government, by a government grant which compared the general population of those living in California with the Seventh-day Adventists living in California. The results were amazing. The diseases strongly related to smoking and drinking, these facts were discovered, such as lung cancer was 80% less among Seventh-day Adventists, bronchitis and emphysema, 68% less among Seventh-day Adventists. Coronary health disease, 45% less among Seventh-day Adventists. Then, as they compared the diseases unrelated to smoking and drinking, such as diabetes, they found that among Seventh-day Adventists, diabetes was 45% less. And bowel count cancer, 32% less among Seventh-day Adventists. Leukemia, 38% less. Even breast cancer, 28% less among Seventh-day Adventists. And of course, there were other causes for disease. 
they came out with the statistics that of all types of cancer, there were 41% less among Seventh-day Adventists. Isn't it a shame that somehow we have failed to spread the right arm of our message to the world of what we know as God has commissioned us to do? Let us begin now to live healthfully ourselves and to spread the good news to all around us. For Jesus is coming soon. When he comes, he's going to ask for an account how we have cared for these wonderful bodies of ours for which he paid such a price. Heavenly Father, thank you for this knowledge that you have given to us of how we should eat. Lord, help us as we get ready for thy coming to faithfully follow the counsel you have given to us that spiritually our minds will be in tuned with the Holy Spirit in preparation for sinless living. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.